Welcome to the Wild Leaders Podcast. In every episode, we dive into whole and intentional leader development topics with leader development experts, Dr. Rob McKenna, Dr. Daniel Halleck, and other experts in the leader development field. So enjoy listening in to this conversation on cutting edge leader development research and experience. This is the Wild Podcast with Wild Leaders, and today we're joined by our special guest, Arnie Hendricks, who owns the company Financial Management Resources, and Arnie does a lot of exit planning consultancy, uh, works as a part-time or fractional CFO for businesses, and does a lot of work in the succession planning space, and I know we're going to get into that a bit more today. Arnie could you tell us your wild story? And what I mean by that is your whole and intentional leader development story. All of us have a bit of a wild story that got us to where we are now, that maybe when you started off your career, you weren't expecting to be here. So just tell the, our listeners a little bit about who you are and a bit of your wild story. Sure. Well, I uh, grew up in a small town in Linden up in Northwest Washington. And so I was pretty isolated from the business community other than my grandfather who opened a, a clothing store. And he'd be the only one that would talk to me about business as I was going to school or as I was out in the workforce. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess one of the things that from a business or a leadership development standpoint is for probably the first 15 years, I was over my head as I took a job in uh, Portland and then in uh, Seattle. Then I got transferred out to Connecticut, down to Virginia, and then back here to Seattle. So it was always... Um, a bit over my head and to the point to where uh, I had was with a, a company here in the back in the Seattle area. I'd gone through a leverage buyout in the back East, came back out here, got a CFO job. The company grew from 20 to $50 million. Uh, we had a mutiny and the company split and I went from CFO to vice president of sales and marketing. Uh, again, way over my head and um, tried to learn like crazy how to be a VP of marketing uh, but uh, ended up getting fired a year and a half later, which was uh, 30 years ago last month, which is when I started my consulting practice. So um, lots to learn in that whole process. Um, and um, but was always, uh, was always uh, striving to uh, perform, was learning from others, uh, was depending on, on helping others. Uh, and... Um, So it's been a crazy experience that I think has helped me certainly in the consulting side because I've seen a lot, done a lot, and then now learned a lot really from every client that I've had, which has been about almost 400 of them over the last 30 years. So it's been a neat experience. Artie, tell me a little bit more because I've heard a bit of that story before too. And I I think you, you, you shared a bit about that experience and some of the empathy you've gained for leaders in those transition moments. Cause I remember you sharing how there was the opportunity to pursue that role in sales and marketing. And and you really, you really pushed for that role. And and, and one of those, be careful what you wish for moments because you got it. Tell tell, tell me more about that process and and the empathy you have for leaders in transition. 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, again, it become kind of the, I guess I would bring it back to, it was a bit greedy of me to, to uh, want that role. I was a finance guy, been, been there for four or five years. And so I was going up against a, uh, a refrigeration engineer. It was a company that sold refrigeration. Uh, and um, I'm not sure exactly how I wanted, but I did, you know, and, and the idea was, is I was going to be VP sales for two years and then uh, become president of the division at like 38, 39 years old, right? $50 million company. So that, that was what I was, was pushing for. And uh, as it turned out, the year and a half was much more difficult than anybody had assumed. The guys that left uh, were very competitive. And uh, we were owned by a Swedish company. And 8.31 morning, I walked in my boss's office. And at 10, 10 o'clock that morning, I was home with a box of my personal goods. Um, so I look back at it and it's, um, it, it's, it was a great example of, uh, more about me than about the company, uh, and about the well-being of the others around me. Um, and it was a, it was a lesson well learned, you know, from that standpoint. Yeah. That's good. Tell us more, Arnie, about what your, your work is today. I can, I can describe it, but I know there's a lot more nuance. What, what is the work yeah. you do today? And- how have you been able to surround and support business leaders and owners as they transition their, their organizations? Well, what I found is uh, you could say the first 20, 25 years of doing the part-time CFO work, my focus was always coming in and helping business to uh, improve their planning process, including their uh, profitability and including their value. And through that time, I was involved in a lot of transitions uh, that clients were having. Some were selling, some were buying, some were merging and always found those to be incredibly interesting times. Um, they're very complex because there's lots going on. You got to figure it all out. Uh, it's very relational because you got lots of people issues that are coming into play, especially if there's family or children involved. And uh, it's really critical to do right, you know, so that uh, a business owner that has built their business and typically 75% of their net worth is involved in their business. And so uh, they've got to pick the right time and they've got to get the right value out of it in order to be ready for retirement. So what I found was, is I was drawn towards uh, identifying potential clients that were going through transition and now spend probably three quarters of my time in that role uh, using my, you know, my finance background and, operational background and sales background all comes into play in order to help set it up. But really what I have decided to do is not take companies to market, which some people do and they do well, uh, but come alongside an owner and just provide whatever guidance and support and counsel I can give to help them uh, exit well. And uh, when I say exit well or transition well, it's kind of two or three different things is that is to have a kind of an attitude of think win-win, you know, from a standpoint buying. So there's a lot of negotiations going on. Uh, if, especially if there's family or management team involved who are like family is to try to have the relationships as good or better after the transaction is before the transaction. So that as you're going through all that, you end up with the good relations and then uh, also then uh, a year later, make sh- you know, try to have it set up so that both the buyer and the seller, neither one of them have a regrets a year later, right? 
Uh, they, they bought what they thought they bought and they sold what they, you know, people did what they said they were going to do. So uh, along with the technical side of figuring valuation and all of the legal paperwork and letter of intent and asset purchase agreement and all that, which I'm usually in the middle of with most clients, or they find that the value isn't there. Now what they have to do is go back and figure out how to rebuild their company to more value and make it more sellable. Okay, so a lot of times we'll, we'll pause and we'll take a year or two and go through that process and then go to market, you know, when they're more ready. Uh, it is, uh, it's just been an interesting experience. Everyone's completely different uh, and uh, the industries and products and people. So uh, it's, uh, it's been really interesting, nicely flexible, you know, for kind of where I'm at in my career. Uh, I can do it on the road. Zoom has helped a ton because of the fact that most of it can be done virtual without too much of a problem. It can be more efficient. So uh, it's worked out well. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. So Artie, one of the things I think is we see in our work is there's oh, there's often a presenting issue. Somebody calls you, maybe they refer to you and they say, okay, I got to exit my business or I got to start thinking of succession or continuity. And they have a particular need that they're asking you about. What, what, what are some of the most common presenting issues and, and what, and, uh, and are those different from what they actually need? So I might call you thinking you're going to help me with one thing, but it turns out that the value I got from you was something different than I initially picked up the phone for. Well, the, um, I guess a lot of times the question might be uh, the how, how do I do this, right? How do I sell my business? Uh, and as we explore that, uh, we find out, I kind of go back to the why, you know, from that standpoint, as far as, um, uh, you know, whether it's frustration, whether, you know, what's the reason they want to sell. Um, and then, um, you know, the explorer, you know, versus just the how they're thinking that there's a mechanical way to do this is help them understand uh, the readiness that needs to be there. Both they need to be financially ready. So they've got to have their personal financial planning done and they got to be mentally ready. And the fact that they have the next period of their life kind of figured out, right? Uh, because their life is going to change substantially when they when they get that final check. And um so, so, you know, I guess it's a matter of I take them on a few side roads first to make sure that they not just the technical how to do it, but it's a matter of making sure that they're ready to do it in lots of different ways. And then also, which is, you know, it's been great working with you guys is that usually it's a matter of are they ready, both mentally, financially, but also is their organization ready, right? You know, from a standpoint, have they have they got the management structure and the leadership in place to make for a good transition, realizing that this is their legacy that they're leaving and they wanted to leave it well. And in order to do that, whether they're looking to sell to their management team or to their children, or whether they're telling, looking to sell to somebody else that's going to depend on that management team to keep running the company, uh, they've got to have that team ready to go. And most entrepreneurs don't really focus on that too much because they make all the decisions and they're the drivers. And, you know, a, a lot of times what I find is that, you know, the, le the leaders that were there have left because they could see that they didn't have any growth potential. 
So a lot of entrepreneurs have managers, but they don't have leaders. Uh, and so if they're going to effectively loan the money to their management team to buy the company, they've got to have somebody there that can drive the company and lead it because it's the company that buys the company. Most of those folks don't have any money. So, uh, but they've got the ability to run the company. As long as the company keeps running, uh, the profits will pay for the company and give value to the owner and everybody wins at the end. You end up with a management team or children that can build wealth. Uh, the owner gets the proceeds at a fair value. Uh, their legacy is continues. All the employees keep their jobs. Community keeps the company, right? So, but you, you got to have that step of transition properly, which is uh, being ready. And part of being ready is having a management team that is uh, potentially can run the company without you. And um, so you're, you're kind of answering this, Arnie, but I want to, I'd love to dig a little deeper into that. you by the way, the stuff you're describing, I, I'm, I'm thinking about it in all different ways because uh, there's another question I have that I'll, I'll wait on. But one of them is, is and you're, you're saying, that I just want to dig deeper if I could and hear your wisdom on this is, so, so what does, you know that we're about whole and intentional leader development, like develop whole leaders and think about what it means to look at all the things we know about what it means to develop leader capacity, including issues related to their identity and their competence. And you know what I mean? Um, and those effectiveness and, and such. Um, what is what does leader development have to do with that work you do, um, and and how do you see that playing out in these conversations? And I'm fascinated because I was thinking about some of these conversations you're having. I'm assuming these are with owners who have never had to think about this before. So they call Arnie and they're like, because it's a whole, it's like running the business and starting the business and all that stuff is one part of it. And they're like, okay, now I'm considering this, which is kind of exciting and interesting to think about, but. What does leader development have to do with that whole story that unfolds when you're working with? Well, maybe an example, Rob, is a situation I'm in the middle of right now. And that is, I've got a client, it's about a $5 million business, uh, two partners that have been running it for 30 years, um, doing about a half a million dollars of EBITDA a year. So they've got a company that's worth, you know, a million and a half to two and a half million dollars, somewhere in there. And they'd love to sell it to their company, to their employees. Right. So we looked at the ESOP route and a little more complicated for the size and expensive. But uh, what we're investigating now is a co-op, a worker owned co-op where basically the company, the employees all own the company. And so I've been doing a lot of work for the last two or three weeks, just investigating that. And um, so, you know, the problem is, is that the two owners have been the general manager VP sales and the VP operations. And they got a lot of great technicians and they got a few managers, but they don't have anybody that can step into their shoes. Mm -hmm. So to the extent that if they're going to sell it to a co-op, um, basically, and they're going to step out, somebody's got to lead that co-op, right? You got to have a leader. Uh, and um, we're parallel to that. We're going to, we're going to go with a third party potential uh, as an option where perhaps a larger company will come in, bring in the management and they'll be able to exit and get a check and go. Um, that's not their desire. Uh, their desire would be to sell it for a little bit less and to keep their employees, give them a chance to benefit from it. And a reference point I got from another co-op that I talked to last week is that the, the employees end up with getting uh, a check at the end of the year, last year, they, they're making on the average 30 bucks an hour 
and they got a, uh, uh, a distribution of funds at $45 an hour for all of the employees. So that was where the profit that normally would go to the owners go back to the employees. Right. Okay. Basically, all the employees double their compensation. Right? Uh, I mean, it's uh-huh. phenomenal. But you need you need leadership to do that. And so I think that to the extent that uh, these guys would have thought of this five years ago, they'd be in a lot better position now. They'd have that option. I'm not sure they're going to have that option because they really don't want to stick around for another couple of years uh, to bring in somebody might work or to develop somebody from within. But there's a, there's a lot at stake, you know, for everybody. And um, so it really is a matter of owners deciding early enough of when they want to transition and then what it's going to take to be ready. If they want to sell it to their kids or their management team to make sure they're investing in those managers in order to get them ready to effectively, as I always ask people, would you loan them $2 million? And they say, well, no. I said, well, that's effectively what you're doing. You sell somebody, your company, they're going to pay you over five to seven years. You're loaning them $2 million to buy your company. Um, and you got to make a good credit decision, right? Yeah. Uh, and so you got to have just like a, like, it's like a bank, you got to, you got to have management that you can depend on because they're going to make or break the future of the company. So it's so interesting, Arnie, because one of the things that Daniel and I face often, um, as you know, we, we built this, this system for leader preparation, not as a, that's, that's counter to what the culture has said, what leader preparation is about. Like it's a, one-off seminar. It's a get to know your personality or your strengths and call it a day. Yeah. And, uh, and it's so funny because when that's the kind of the, the paradigm, but in the, in this kind of these mid-market company ranges, you know, that, that we both deal with often it's, it's, uh, and I hate the idea of getting people to do anything or having to convince them, but it's inviting them into this future reality that says, we kind of know what's going to happen as you grow. And so like you were saying, one of, one of our opportunities is inspiring these leaders into saying, this is what's going to happen if you don't begin the investment now, yep. whether you keep the business or not, whether or whether you don't, you no longer run the business, because many of them want to stay in it maybe, but they don't want to run it. And that, that if they got ahead of that and start establishing a culture around development earlier, you know what I mean? Around, around about identifying that capacity, not in a way that some companies have necessarily where they just you know, they're looking at people, but they start to develop people. So it just, it just you're, it's very interesting hearing you talk about the moment you sometimes, oftentimes come to them at the end of that saying, I wish I had started this five years ago. Yeah. 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 And uh, then they'd have, they'd, they'd be able to do it the way they want to do it. Right. Yeah. And now they, now they're faced with a decision of, okay, do I work another three or four years? Would I financially, I don't have to. Right. I mean, they're set financially and they could sell it to somebody. Um, and you end up with is there's a sense after 30 years of disappointment, which there shouldn't be. There should be, you know, an elation that, you know, they they are able to get their, their, their financial benefit. They're going to take care of their employees. They're going to take care of their community. It should be it should be good all the way around. And instead, they end up with is I really can't do what I want to do because of mm. the way I've set it up, you know? Interesting. And Interesting. Um, so the earlier they can address that, the better. And um, yeah, it can still be good. You know, they can yeah. still make sure they sell it to a company that's going to take care of their people and, 
a lot of times, you know, that's the nice thing about going through the, even the M&A process is they'll end up with two or three choices. And if money isn't the absolute driver, they're able to interview and make sure they select a company that can continue the culture uh, like they would have it. And again, do the next best thing they can for their people. And that is to make sure the new owner um, isn't going to turn things upside down. You know, yeah, great. So, so Arnie, to that to that point about if you could catch leaders earlier, uh, it's making me think of um, small parallel example where last year we decided to sell our house. Um, we weren't planning on it earlier in the year, and then it came to a point where we said, "Yeah, we want to sell." And I became confronted with the fact that I had not done a lot of yard work for five years. Nope. <laughs> Like I kind of did five years worth of yard work in about a month and a half and it was awful. And so I think about that same thing for when you're meeting with these businesses, they're kind of going, wow, I've got to, I've got to put all that together. Now, if you could catch an owner three, five years before they hope to exit, what are some of the things that, you might invite them to consider regardless of whatever the pathway might look like at the end to get ready before having to do it on, on the moment. Well, there's, you know, it, it goes all the whole spectrum from a standpoint of, you know, from an operating standpoint to make sure that you have the systems and processes in place so that, you know, that they are, um, uh, more transferable to others and, and kind of on their own, um, you know, setting up the management systems and processes and whether it be financial planning, budgeting, strategic planning, you know, to incorporate the kinds of things you could say that a well-run professional company should do. And that is to be more holistic about getting your people involved. Um, and then, you know, have a planned exit to where you're less and less involved and you end up with is identifying people early on that you believe will be the president and vice president and leaders and give them the training and then give them some of the responsibilities that allow them to, um, you know, kind of get ready to take their training wheels off by the time you leave. And then literally, you know, take more time off and leave it in their hands, right? Uh, and call in for that monthly business review and teach them how to run a business, not just uh, sell and make stuff, but how to run a business, right? And that includes the financials, that includes the planning, that includes, you know, all of the the softer issues. Um, And, um, you know, put them on track to be successful at the end of the day, because they might, in fact, owe you $2 million, which you are perfectly fine with because they're running the company anyway, right? And you have complete confidence in them. And I have that happen many times. They have no doubt that, you know, they're going to get paid. I had a, a father that sold it to his son and his son-in-law and, and fifth generation company. And it was a 15 year note. And I said, well, that's an awful long time. He said, doesn't bother me. They're going to be able to do it. And my dad loaned me the money over 20 years, you know, <laughs> so uh, he had a good reference point. And in fact, he had, he had confidence in them. He had confidence in the team and the systems and everything that he put in place. Uh, and uh, so I think that is probably, Daniel, from a standpoint of not have managers just doing the operational work, but 
the business development and the business, running the business type of, of efforts and investing in them on that. And like, for example, the example we just, we took two years in that case to make sure those boys were ready and they got out into the industry. They went to the conventions. They, we had them reading books. So one of them took a class up at UW. Another one, you know, they ended up with a, uh, another development company that they worked with and, and that. And um, so they were ready, you know, so, but over time it, it worked well. You know, I love that you talked about the vacation um, as one of the things they would take more time off so that others kind of have to run things while they're gone. And I, I love that because that's kind of an unconventional, you know, when we think of wild, yes, it's whole and intentional leader development, but we're also, at least in our work, always looking to say, how do we not just do the conventional way, but sometimes those unconventional approaches can, can get the, the results we want. And that's kind of, that's kind of a wild unconventional approach to say, Hey, by the way, go, go take extra time off so that they have to figure it out. Um, what, what are some of as, as you think of, of, of people passing the baton, what are some of the other unconventional things? Some, some of the wild approaches you've seen that actually might work well for leaders in terms of getting themselves ready or making that hand off. And the way, the way we think about that too, is like, we, we talk about constructive dissonance, like practices that create constructive dissonance. So it's like, this doesn't feel right. Cause I was thinking about my own example is as C as a CEO, I, there's a sense in which I feel like, I feel like I'm not doing my job. Right. And so it's like that, that dissonance is like, could that be my job? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, it's, it's, it's not, um, you know, one thought would be, to, which I've done, is that what the owner does is that in the, if they have a regular monthly management meeting, is that they pass the leadership around the table, right? So it's not the owner always leading the meeting, you know, that yes, yes. sometimes he's just the participant and everyone takes a turn in, in leading the meeting. Um, and again, it does two things, like when any of us have been in those kind of groups, you pay more attention when you're not leading because you know what the owner's going through. You're participating on a different level and, and you put on the spot, you know, of, of having to um, carry the conversation and, and drive the issues and make sure that, so that, you know, you end up with different ways like that uh, might be not that unconventional, but it's a, it's a good way to give a lot of people to practice when you're there to catch them if they need it, you know, uh, and to, to have people, you know, um, just take response, more, more response, higher response levels of responsibility for their areas, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Arnie, you, you, you've, you said you've worked with about 400 clients now over the last 30 years and you've been mm. sharing some of your own personal story. Um, in many ways, you could do some of this stuff with your eyes closed. What, when it comes to helping business owners transition, what, what are you still learning? What, what's your developmental edge as a leader who is helping these other leaders make a pretty significant um, change in their life? What are you still learning? Well, I guess what I'm continuing to try to do is to make sure that um, I'm listening rather than immediately coming up with a solution, right? You know, because I've seen a lot and I've been a lot of different places, I've seen, you know, I've seen it all, right? Okay, well, I really haven't seen it all because everyone is unique. And so I would say, Danny, what I try to do is to make sure uh, that I listen first, uh, especially the first meeting or two, 
you know, have people tell me their backstory and ask a lot of questions and um, kind of go back to, you know, the Covey think first to understand, then to be understood kind of a thing, right? And um, so, I mean, that's an area that I, I think that all of us can continue to improve at. And I, and I get comments once in a while where they appreciate, you know, they, they notice that what I'm doing. Um, but I'd say that's, that's an area that I'm continuing to develop because every situation is totally unique. And, um, and there's always backstories and there's issues that people aren't talking about that are the real issues that you've got to allow to mature, right? And, um, and the impact it has on people's lives is, uh, you know, um, and everyone is just, yesterday I had a conversation with a, a father and a daughter that were equal partners and his father was wanting to sell the company and he was not worried about the financials and all that kind of good stuff. Well, the daughter was pretty quiet and I could, I don't know her, I've never met her, what her backstory is or what situation is, but, you know, you end up with their situation to where father's the driver, she's 50% owner, but she's the follower and she may not be ready to sell the company or financially ready to sell the company, right? And so you got to be able to, so we ended up with talking through of, she could continue working for the new owner if she wanted to sell or whatever else. So um, it's uh, it's pretty interesting just to read people and listen and learn and figure out again how you can get a win out of it for everybody around the table. Yeah, one of the reasons I'm grateful, Arnie, that you are surrounding us and we're in each other's ecosystems and spheres is that I just was it occurred to me that my dad's written a couple of succession planning books, by the way. So it's like it's a thing he thinks about constantly, but I realized, and I've thought about this, but that most of my family members are not, have not attempted what I have attempted at certain points in my career. And so most of my family members, when it comes to succession planning, think about it from a more corporate perspective. What I mean by that is they were in a larger corporate context. I'm not saying corporation, I mean, either a university. So my dad was a college, college president. And so when he thinks about succession planning, he's, it wasn't the first thing that comes to mind isn't the, the financial aspect. It certainly played a role, but it wasn't about a sale. It was about how do you set up that next person who's going to be able to lead when you leave that institution? And I, there's some of the same principles, but you're causing, and I'm just grateful because there are some different parts of that, those formulas. When you put that, that financial piece in play, when it's that owner, you know what I mean? And I, and I so appreciate some of the things you described. It's got blown my brain apart once again. Yeah. So yeah. good. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to do that, but uh, no, in fact, I gave, <laughs> I gave one of your dad's books to uh, the leader of a nonprofit I'm working with uh, uh, because not, I mean, the whole world of nonprofits, this whole succession planning is almost, you know, even more critical because a lot of times when that leader leaves, the mission stops, right? And it's, it's just, how do you figure out how to get that over? Yeah. You know, he, you know, we were talking a couple weeks ago and he talked about the example, I think your dad had one of, one of his books where, you know, he went back to the school a couple, three years later, whatever, and, you know, somebody didn't know him, right? <laughs> you know, he'd been the president of the university. Security wouldn't let him park. Yeah. That was the deal. <laughs> like he, so, so that stood out to this, this uh, nonprofit who yeah. been running this organization, building it up for 30 years. You know, it's a little scary, you know, because that's been his, his life, mate. Uh, he's yeah. finding that um, it's, it's, it's an interesting process for him to let go. That'd be a great follow-on conversation we'll have to have at some point is that nonprofit 
like those oh. comparisons are really interesting. I would love to do that. We'll have to do that in the future. You know, it's, you know because of they're so tied into funding and the mission driving. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really critical and something that um, is, you could say, almost more important a lot of times than people selling the widgets that they're selling, right? Wow, interesting. So, yeah. All right, so I've got, I've got two, two final questions for you, Arnie. The right. first one is a wild question, and it's not one I planned, but based on this conversation, I couldn't help but ask, um, what is your exit strategy Personally. I knew you were going to do that. What is, your, what, is, what is Arnie's next step? Uh, and then I've got a final question about how people can reach you. But what, um, yeah, what, what, as I, I, I imagine you can't help but think of your own um, planning for the future as you're doing it for others yeah. on the daily. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always embarrassing when people ask me that, to be honest with you. Uh, because if I knew now, if I knew before what I know now, I'd have done it completely differently, right? Because my whole 30 years of part-time CFO, I didn't have a staff. I just did it on my own because I really enjoyed the work, enjoyed being part of a team and enjoyed the flexibility. I've got four kids and I've got 11 grandkids and I can do what I want when I want to. Right. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, but, you know, to be honest with you, I haven't built a company that I can sell because I'm the company. Right. And, um, so to that extent, um, both out of desire and need, I'm going to keep working for a while, right? And uh, But it's a wonderful thing in the fact that we took off for a month of March down to Arizona and uh, I kept working and doesn't make any difference now with Zoom and everything else. So we were going to go for two weeks and my wife said, well, let's go for a month because we had a travel trailer and such. And I said, well, I can't go for a month. And she says, well, why not? You're sitting in your office all day anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you gotta know my wife to understand that right <laughs> and uh and it worked out great you know i'd work till noon we take off and bike and hike and and then come back the next day so to your question is um what i'm trying to do is prevent others from being in the position i'm in and not having something they sell build value right and uh, cause there's some ways i definitely could have done it it would have been different but um that's kind of where i'm at but fortunately I really enjoy it and there's lots of opportunities and it's very flexible. So uh, I'm good. Yeah. And the, the upside is like my brother always said to me, Rob, don't, don't start your own business. Cause if you build the beast, you have to feed the beast. <laughs> He's like, do your own thing. It's easier. So there's upsides to both. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, on one hand, I've told people I've not had a paid day off in 30 years, you know, uh, on the other hand, you know, I've never had to tell anybody where, where I'm at when I'm not with them. You know, <laughs> That's good. That's great. All right. So, All right. so Artie, to wrap up, yep. if, someone, if someone is listening here and going, gosh, I should probably get in touch with Artie now <laughs> before five years from now, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you to learn about that continuity uh, probably plan? Probably just a phone call is uh, 425-681-3319 or an email arnie.hendricks at gmail.com. My website is financial man, man, financial biz. Cool. Awesome. I'll awesome. make sure to get those printed out for the podcast Great. as well. So Arnie, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun as we get into this, this and just grateful for your good work and partnership in helping businesses, leaders, their management team, and then even as you said, the, the, the community ultimately um, gain value from a healthy, thriving continuity of business. Been my pleasure, and it's been great to get connected with you guys uh, already and getting some clients 
into your program early on. And um, hopefully we can do a lot more of that. Awesome. Well, thanks, thanks Arnie. Arnie. Yeah, take care, guys. Yeah, take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.